Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Our text actually begins right at the end of the chapter, verse 36, and extends into chapter 14 all the way to verse 14. As I have it in the the notes on the service, uh, this is probably one of the most familiar passages in all of John's gospel, especially the first three verses, verse 6 of John 14. Uh, But I begin the reading here at the end of chapter 13 in order to gain the context. Why does Jesus say, let not your hearts be troubled? Well, it's because of what he's just said to Peter. Indeed, what he's just said to all the disciples, that he's going away. It's hard for them not to have their hearts feel troubled when it seems as though Jesus is abandoning them, that they're going to be left alone in this world. And so Jesus in this passage deals with our troubled hearts, and he does so by way of giving us an antidote, namely himself. But we'll see that more particularly as we work our way through this passage with the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do come as your people this morning desiring to hear the word of the Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and use your word in our hearts and lives. Comfort us, we pray. And above all, turn our hearts to you, Lord Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 13, beginning verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, Where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Jesus said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, Show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, 
and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So do you know this quote? Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. You know that quote. It's true, you know. We don't really understand what others are dealing with, what what troubled hearts they carry. As Stephen mentioned earlier in our service, we we often put up a, a, a happy face or at least some kind of facade because it's just too dangerous to talk about the troubles we carry. That's true for us as we encounter one another in our daily lives. It's true even of public figures. You may have seen that uh, Michael Gershon, uh, the former speechwriter in the Bush White House, passed away this past week. I certainly had no idea of all that he was carrying. Uh, his slow-growth kidney cancer that ultimately took his, took his life, diagnosed back in 2013. But as I read the various tributes and obituaries, the thing that broke my heart for Gerson uh, was his hospitalization for uh, clinical depression in 2019. After he was released from the hospital, he actually preached a sermon at the National Cathedral. And in that sermon, he not only named uh, his own reality, what he had been dealing with, but also the reality of all of us and the way we feel at one point or another. In the midst of that sermon, which I commend to you, he he talked about experiencing this. We experience unearned suffering, or we give unreturned love, or we cry useless tears. And many of us eventually grow weary of ourselves, tired of our own sour company. See, we're all fighting battles. We all carry around with us troubled hearts. That's true of us. But it's true of Jesus' disciples as well. In fact, one of the, the striking things about this passage is that the disciples actually tell us what their troubles are. Peter, Thomas, and Philip, they all ask questions of Jesus. And these questions reveal their fears and anxieties their worries and their doubts, and, and even their misunderstanding about who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. But, it, but it's notable that when, when the disciples begin to re- reveal their troubled hearts, Jesus doesn't push the questions away. He doesn't brusquely answer them or give them cliche. And even when he reveals their hearts to the disciples, he does so in an effort to comfort them. And that's because, as the great English Puritan Richard Sibbs once observed, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. And Jesus has mercy and grace, compassion and love to meet us amid our fears. He comes beside us to fight our battle. He comes near to us to comfort us, to to give us the antidotes for our troubled hearts. How how does Jesus do this? What is his antidote for our troubled hearts? Well, there's three parts to it. 
his presence, his person, and prayer. Notice first his presence as an antidote for our our troubled hearts, for the the deep fears and anxieties and, and wonderings and doubts that we carry within us, or if we could put it differently, Jesus' presence mean that, means that Jesus makes room for us to be with him. Jesus makes room for us to be with him. Now, why is that comforting? Well, Peter, who is stunned by Jesus' declaration in the previous paragraph that we looked at last time, his declaration that he was leaving them, that he had to go and return to the Father, that, that he was going to abandon them. He wasn't quite sure what it means. Peter has all this profound anxiety that arises. Anxiety to, to, to be apart from Jesus, to be alone and abandoned. How could Jesus leave him now? And in fact, his, his fears, his troubled heart comes through in his questions that he asks, where are you going? Lord, why can't I come? It, it reminds you of a child who has been dropped off at the church's nursery, perhaps, or, or is being left behind with the babysitter when the parents are leaving to go out for a quiet evening among themselves, and they're stomping their feet and saying, where are you going? Why can't I come? That's what Peter's questions are about Jesus' presence or lack thereof. Jesus tries to assure Peter, where I'm going, you will follow after. And then he must confront Peter. Will you actually die for me? (laughs) That's my task. I'm dying for you. You'll deny me three times. But then Jesus turns to all the disciples as Peter has raised this this deep fear, this anxiety that's undoubtedly plaguing all of their hearts. All of their hearts feel the same thing. And he says, what? Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so. Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. We know this passage that Jesus tells us, tells his followers, that his Father's house has many rooms. It's an evocative image, isn't it? But what does it mean? Well, I think what we should imagine is is a a large number of dwelling places that have been combined into a large house. Perhaps the the closest thing in our experience would be an an Amish home in which the the father of the family has, has added on and extended his house as his children have gotten married and they move in with him. They, they take their place in the household as he makes room for them. And so as a result, their houses can be quite large as everyone has a place. And Jesus is telling us here that his work is to go before us to go back to his father to, to ensure that we have a place in God's house, to have a, have a place in God's family and to, in God's household. Of course, it's, the image is more than simply we have a room in God's bed and breakfast, right? No, the point is that God's, Jesus is going to make room for us. He's going to make room for us in God's family. 
He's going to make room for us in God's household. And best of all, Jesus says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. You see, Jesus doesn't go away to abandon us. Jesus doesn't go away to forsake us. He goes ahead to make room for us. And he goes ahead to make room for us that we might be with him. His presence, both now and forever, is the antidote to our fears of abandonment, to our fears of being alone, our fears of not making it to heaven, our fears of loneliness and emptiness. Friends, in this life, we walk by faith and not by sight, right? Jesus will tell us at the end of this gospel, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We walk resting in the promises of God and trusting in God's presence in Jesus Christ by his spirit and and waiting for the good things that have been promised. We walk by faith, not by sight. But when we cross the dark river of death, friends, we will no longer walk by faith. No, we'll walk by sight. Because we will see him as he is and we'll be transformed into his likeness and we will be with him forever. We will see him face to face. That's what the old gospel song taught us. Face to face. Oh, blissful moment. Face to face to see and know. Face to face with my redeemer, Jesus Christ, who loves me so. Isn't that a great comfort? to you today, right now, in the midst of the hard battle you might be fighting? With the troubled heart that you are carrying? To know that even though Jesus may feel as though he's away from you, you certainly can't see him. There are times you're so lonely, but there's coming a day, and it's just a short while away, when you will be with Jesus forever. His presence is the antidote for our troubled hearts. But so is his person. His presence certainly is. He makes room for us to be with him. But his person does as well, or to put it differently, Jesus is the way to God, because Jesus is God. Now, how does that soothe the disciples' heart? Well, it's interesting that Thomas is the one who follows up with the next question. He's still thinking about where Jesus is going. And especially Jesus' point in verse 4, you know the way to where I'm going. Ever exact, ever literal, rational Thomas begins to wonder about what Jesus has just said there. Verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? How can we know the way to God's presence? I mean, that's really Thomas's question, isn't it? If Jesus is returning to the Father, I mean, that's why he's going away, then how do the disciples get there? How do, they, how do they come into God's presence? Now, friends, that's no small question. And that's no small concern. It's the question upon which all religion turns. How do we get into God's presence. Uh, Are we required to do certain essential religious practices like in the five pillars of Islam? 
Or are we required to to release ourselves to the one through self-denial as in Hinduism? Or are we required to let go of our our desires through through fasting and meditation that we might reach nirvana as Buddhism teaches? Or should we simply maximize our time here by being useful, doing good, being kind and truthful as moralists of various stripes believe? How do we come into God's presence? What's the way? Well, according to Jesus, the way is not a what, but a who. That's what he says, isn't it? Verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice this is an absolute claim. The articles in the sentence are very specific. Jesus is saying, I am the way to the Father. There's no other way but through me. There are no other ways, no other paths, no other techniques, no other lights. Only one way into God's presence, and that's through commitment to Jesus, to his person, to his work, to his way of life. But how does that soothe our hearts? How does it soothe our fearful, troubled hearts to hear that faith in Jesus, commitment to him, is the only way into God's presence? Well, in telling us that Jesus himself is the way to God's presence, Jesus is telling us something true about himself because because he is not just the way to God, but he is God. So that if you're going to come into God's presence, you have to come through God himself, and his name is Jesus. There is no other God besides him. There was a theologian named T.F. Torrance. He was a Scots Presbyterian from the previous generation. Um, He, during World War II, served in the chaplaincy of the Allied army. And in late 1944, he was accompanying the king's own royal rifles on an assault on the Italian city of San Marino. The Axis troops were up on a wall and they were just picking the Allied troops off as they were trying to storm the city. And as a result, many fell, and so Torrance set aside his chaplain duties for a moment and became a litter bearer. He was ferrying men from the front so that they might die behind the back lines. One of the men that he brought back to the back was a man named Private Phillips. He was 20 years old or so, and in Torrance's telling, He said that he was mortally wounded, lying there on the ground, clearly didn't have long to live. As I knelt down and bent over him, he said, Father, Padre, is God really like Jesus? Is God really, really like Jesus? I assured him that he was. The only God there is, the God who's come to us in Jesus, shown his face to us, poured out his love to us as our Savior. You see, my friends, in Jesus Christ, God has come near to you in me. He has shown us his face, shown us his love through Jesus' own dying and rising again. And so the presence that we long for is actually that of a divine human person whose name is Jesus, God incarnate, the one who can soothe our sorrows 
It's why we sing how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrow, heals his wounds, and drives away his tears. It, it makes the wounded spirit whole and calms the troubled breast. Tis manna to the hungry soul and to the weary rest. Why is that the case? Why is the name of Jesus like that? It's because he is the way to God, who is in fact God himself. Only God can soothe your troubled soul. Only God can dispel the darkness in your heart. Only God can clear away the, the cobwebs of confusion. He is your rest because he is a presence who's in fact a person. God himself. He's the antidote to your troubled heart. But there's one more part of this antidote. Certainly God's presence in Jesus Christ, that Jesus makes room for us that we might be with him forever. His person, that he's the way to God because he is in fact God. But also prayer. Prayer also is an antidote. Or as we would might want to say, Jesus hears us and answers our requests in order to bring glory to God and to do good to us. How does that comfort us? Philip has the last question in our text this morning. He's confused about what Jesus has just said, that from now on you do know the Father and have seen him. And so in verse 8, he has a statement that's more like a question. Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. It's as though he's saying, Jesus, would you show us the Father? Show us the Father. That would be enough for us. And Jesus' response starts somewhere between amazement and incredulity. Have you been with me so long, Philip, other disciples, and you've not known? Jesus says to see me is to see the Father. God really is like Jesus. But then in verse 12, Jesus speaks of greater works that the disciples will do. Works that will display God to the whole world. How will that happen? Well, verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do works, the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus is going to the Father. He will be there, of course, because he is God himself. And so when we pray, when we invoke Jesus' name, Jesus promises to hear and to act. Twice he says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. And so that means when we are troubled and afraid and anxious and fearful and terrified and panicked, we can cry out to Jesus. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. It could be, Jesus, save me. Jesus, rescue me. Help me, Jesus. Jesus, I'm afraid. It doesn't have to be a perfect prayer. It doesn't have to have every theologically, theological point nicely sharpened and buttoned up. It doesn't even have to be a prayer with your own words. It could be a prayer from the Bible. It could be a prayer from a prayer book. It could be the sinner's prayer. But the comfort that Jesus promises our, our troubled hearts is that he will hear. He will answer us. He will do so for our good. He cares about you. But he'll also do so for God's glory. 
that God's character in God's world might be displayed and known through answering your prayers. There's been no greater example of that this year than the way that God's answered his, our prayers for Sarah, my wife. So many of you, thousands around the country and around the world, have been praying for her, that she might be delivered from this cancer. And, and right now, in God's mercy, as you know, she's no evidence of disease. But friends, why did God do that? For what purpose that his glory might be known, that his character might be seen, as well as to comfort our sorrowing hearts, both and. For our good, to comfort our sorrowing hearts, our troubled hearts, and for his glory, that his character might be known. It's one of the most remarkable things that I've seen Sarah do all the way through this. Wherever we go and whatever appointment it is, she's telling the person that's helping us, helping her, we've got lots of people praying for you. Lots of people praying for you. Praying for me too. And inevitably, it's a testimony. It's a witness. It's declaring God's glory. There are many that are asking Jesus to act in his name. And God has heard and he's acted for his glory. Friends, it's, that's a comfort to us. It's an antidote to know that Jesus hears and answers our prayers for our good and for his glory. It's a way of showing us his presence not just in, in the future, but in the present. He is here with you. You are not alone. To show you his person, that he's not just a religious teacher, not some kind of two-bit Messiah. He is God himself. And he's able to act and to hear. Friends, I know you are fighting hard battles. You may not share them with one another, but I know you are. But hear the word of the Lord today. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. And take his antidote for your troubled heart. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do need to hear these words. We do need the comfort that you, Jesus, your name brings to us. And so, Lord, please use your word in just that way. We come, O Christ, to you. You are the God who draws near to us over and again through your spirit. You are the God who hears us when we pray. You are the God who continues to minister your grace, your mercy, your compassion to us. Lord, show us your kindness and steadfast love this day so that we might leave this place rejoicing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.